Are mobile home parks the perfect recession-resistant opportunity zone investment? Find out next. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Opportunity Zones podcast, the weekly show where we interview Opportunity Zones professionals and experts from fund managers to tax advisors, from real estate developers to venture capitalists. If it impacts Opportunity Zones or the Opportunity Funds industry, we cover it here on the Opportunity Zones podcast. Welcome to the Opportunity Zones podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Atkinson. Today's episode is a condensed audio recording of a live Opportunity Zone fund pitch webinar hosted by Saratoga Group on May 27th. For the complete version of this webinar in video format, and to learn more about how you can present your Opportunity Zone fund or deal to the Opportunity DB network in a future webinar like this one, head on over to opportunitydb.com webinars. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Jimmy Atkinson with the Opportunity Zones database at opportunitydb.com and welcome to today's webinar, Mobile Home Parks, the perfect recession-resistant Opportunity Zone investment. Let's find out. Today's sponsor is Saratoga Group. And some of the things that we'll be talking about today include the economic advantages of mobile home park investing through an Opportunity Zone fund, how mobile home parks or MHPs as we'll abbreviate throughout today's webinar, offer a simplified management solution, why MHPs may offer superior risk-adjusted returns, and then we'll also spend a little bit of time comparing MHPs to other asset classes commonly held by Opportunity Zone funds, and why MHPs may outperform during recessions. And then most importantly, how you may be able to incorporate this type of investment into your portfolio. So now without further ado, I'd like to turn it over to today's guest, Sam Hales. Sam is founder and CEO of Saratoga Group, a real estate investment firm focused on investing in affordable housing, specifically through mobile home communities. Sam founded Saratoga Group in 2011 and has successfully managed over $200 million in assets. We're very pleased that he is here today with us to share his expertise. So please, Sam, take it away. Jimmy, thank you so much. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on here today, and uh, I hope that each of you find a lot of value through uh, what we'll be sharing today. <clears throat> so the, uh, our, the title is Mobile Home Parks, the Perfect QOZ Investment. Of course, perfect's a, a tough word, right? Uh, and we'll certainly be talking about all the economic advantages of mobile home communities in opportunity zones. But part of the reason this word was chosen is because of the original political intent for the OZ legislation, which was to help disadvantaged communities. And as I often tell people, uh, probably uh, almost every mobile home park or mobile home community uh, has the demographic of people that, uh, that really should be included in an, in an opportunity zone investment. First thing here is in, in terms of the advantages of MHC or MHP, MHC meaning mobile home community. They're kind of used interchangeably those terms, but of investment in these sorts of communities. First one is simplified management. So if we, if we think about, uh, this is what's called a land lease community. So we own the land and we own the improvements on the land, which are gonna be the roadways. It's gonna be electrical distribution, uh, you know, it's kind of common area lighting. It's gonna be sewer lines, water lines, but other than that, the 
typically the residents own their own homes. And so when you think about, you know, if we're comparing this, let's see, to an apartment building where we're going to own all the walls and, and if the roof leaks, we've got to fix that and the windows leaking and, and just all those issues that are, that are going to crop up, we don't really have those issues in, uh, in a mobile home community. And so that, that kind of simplifies our management. Second thing is what's referred to as the, the high tenant moving costs. So we call these mobile homes or manufactured homes. Mobile homes is kind of the term uh, that's been used predominantly in the past and, and it's, you know, it's changing a little bit in the industry, but they're really not that mobile. And so if, if somebody is, let's say, living in a community, they own their own home and they want to move to a different community, that can cost from five to $10,000 by the time they you know, get, get the large truck to move. You often have to get permits to do it. You've got to then reinstall your skirting. You've got to install a new deck, stairs, um, all those sorts of things. And so it, it creates a sticky tenant base. Uh, the average length of residency being, being 12 years compared to, you know, kind of one to two years maybe on, on apartment uh, dwellers. Uh, the next is fragmented ownership. So the, there are approximately 50,000 communities in the United States, and less than 3% of those are owned by the largest uh, public owners, REITs such as Sun Communities or Equity Lifestyle. And so what that means is because it's so fragmented, there's a lot of kind of what we call mom and pop owners that have owned these communities and, and a lot of times don't reinvest into them, also don't get, keep the rents up to market. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of buying opportunity because of that fragmented ownership. So in terms of risk-adjusted returns, the or kind of a typical operating expense ratio for a mobile home community is going to be in the 35 to 40% range. If we compare that to maybe a multifamily apartment building, it's going to be 5 to 10% higher than that. And, and finally is a limited supply. So I mentioned, you know, 50,000 communities or so uh, in the United States. And what's interesting about that is there's, there's kind of a little bit of a moat built around this industry. Every year there are more communities that are redeveloped into other things like a Walmart or some sort of commercial investment uh, versus the number that are new and get built kind of straight out of the ground. It's, it's very difficult to get a mobile home community approved and built. So we, we started out doing single, fam, single family home investment uh, 10 years ago in Northern California. We've done a number of other different uh, real estate investment um, uh, transactions and, and you know, manage those, those sorts of uh, opportunities. And what really attracted to me, me to this this uh, asset class was the fact that it does well in both good times and bad times. So let me explain this chart. Uh, first of all, in blue, this is showing across each uh, type of commercial real estate, or really an aggregation of all types of commercial real estate for publicly traded REITs, what was the what's called same-store NOI growth over the last 10 years. And you can see that it's generally been positive, meaning each unit, each apartment, let's say, or each office has become more valuable. But here we are in the Great Recession from 2009 through 2010. And uh, as you would expect, 
those, you know, each unit became less valuable. And because it was generating less income, maybe there was more vacancy, maybe rents came down. Of course, we, we were probably uh, staring into a similar situation right now. But what you'll notice is that 10 years ago when this happened, uh, although the NOI growth slowed, there was less growth, it was still growing. So each, and it's not just each year, it's actually, it's actually every single quarter, uh, these mobile home uh, spaces have become more valuable on these publicly traded REITs. So there, there are generally, a, well, three different types of opportunity zone funds. So at, at least from my experience, what, I, what I've seen is there's quite a few on the hotel development side, uh, class A apartment development side, QOZ business, and of course I'm presenting today the mobile home park fund, which is certainly uh, quite a bit different than, than each of these. So I just wanted to spend a minute and, and talk about some of the differentiators. Uh, first being the idiosyncratic risk. So if, if we're investing in a hotel and it's, and it's a ground up development, there's all sorts of kind of risk that goes up, that goes into the lease up as far as, you know, how, how, how long does it take us to get our occupancy rates up? Uh, you know, really, how, how is that particular market going to perform um, relative to a mobile home park fund where, and I'll get to this in a minute, but, but we're basically purchasing an asset that's already cash flowing. Uh, and of course, QOZ business, I mean, you think about a startup company and kind of the risks associated with that, um, it, it can be very risky. Uh, diversification. So across ROZ, uh, transactions, purchases of, of mobile home communities, and, and we'll share later kind of what those have been so far. Our average purchase price is right around $2 million. So, so in a $15 million fund, which is like our current fund, fund four OZ fund, uh, we're, we're able to buy, you know, 10 to 15 communities that are in different geographies with different demographics, and, and, and we're able to diversify kind of geographically and, dem, and demographically. Uh, I already mentioned, uh, you know, these mobile home communities we're buying, they're providing current cash flow. I mean, they're often, uh, our, our typical occupancy is about 55% at acquisition, and that's true of our OZ parks as well as our non-OZ. So there's a lot of headroom in terms of the lease up, but there's also uh, a kind of a baseline of cash flow that that we're able to uh, to have when we when we purchase. In addition to that, mobile home communities are known for for the ability to to generate uh, really really good cash flows over time, and, and there are a number of levers that we're able to use, not just adding occupancy, but in the way that we operate them, uh, maybe billing back for for utilities, different things like this that allow us to um, pretty easily kind of move both the top and the bottom line in terms in terms of our income. And finally, like the slide that I just shared, uh, the mobile home communities in the past have done very well during recessionary cycles. Uh, you know, certainly relative to hotel or, or maybe class A apartments. We obviously know the impacts right now for hotels and it's, it's been dramatic and, and really sad in, in many ways. Uh, class A has held up pretty well, at least so far. Uh, what we've experienced in past downturns is that uh, class A over time, people start trading down from class A to class B, from class B to C, and, and mobile home communities are, are kind of considered a class C type of asset. So that, that's part of the reason they, they hold up well during a recession.
which is very important during the uh, current environment that we find our, ourselves in. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, and, and that, that's what I want to kind of speak about here next, Jimmy, is, uh, is how it's holding up so far. So the, on the left, you're going to see a graph sh or a chart showing um, kind of some, some industry survey results regarding collections. And so I'd have you pay attention to kind of that last column. So this is the, the percentage that's reported there is the percentage of historical uh, collections that, that they reported in, in the month of April, right? So in other words, uh, industrial is the top one. So uh, April of 2019, uh, they would, you know, let's, let's call that a baseline of 100%. In April of 2020, they're collecting, you know, close to 92% of, of what they would have historically. And, and you can see there's certainly some real pain points, right? Uh, malls at the bottom, certainly all types of retail are having a very difficult time. Manufactured housing across the industry is collecting about 97% of historical, which is the highest of, of any of the asset classes. An interesting point uh, regarding mobile home communities is, is this social distancing. I mean, we've got it kind of being mandated at some level, but also many, many people um, choosing to, to social distance. And it's, it can be quite difficult to do in a, in a multifamily community, right? You've got elevators, you've got common doors and hallways and that sort of thing uh, for, for a multifamily apartment building. In a mobile home community, each resident typically has their own driveway. Uh, they're not sharing any walls with anybody else. They're not sharing an HVAC system. Uh, we believe that this may just continue to increase the demand for this type of, of housing because of some of these social distancing rules that may be with us for a while. The other, the other aspect is, it, again, we talked about kind of simplified management. It's becoming quite onerous for some of these. I mean, imagine owning some multifamily apartment buildings in New York City right now. Uh, some of the, the rules and, and the procedures that they're having to put in place, uh, you know, one person at a time in, in the elevator and, and things like that, that make it very difficult and expensive to operate some of these communities. Um, and we don't, we don't really have to worry about that too much with the mobile home communities. Okay, well, uh, let me share a little more regarding our financial projections. So there at the top, you'll see uh, we're projecting for a limited partner, for an investor, uh, an IRR of around 22% over the, over the hold cycle, or actually over a 10-year horizon, uh, equity multiple of 3.5, and an average cash on cash to the investor of 11.4%. I, I think the the graph below is going to explain a little bit about how the business works, how our model works, um, and uh, and we'll go into it in, in some more detail a couple slides from now as well. But 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 basically the idea is I mean we make the initial investment uh, and and like I said we we are buying current cash flow, but we're we're then going to be able to uh, you know start distributing. Uh, we basically don't distribute that first year. We start distributing uh, that starting in that second year. Um, and and you, so you can kind of see those distributions go up. And that's as we do do a few different things. Number one, we're, we're infilling the parks. We're bringing in new homes. Uh, number, number two, we're operating them much more efficiently. So uh, I, I think I mentioned a little bit ago, a lot of times we'll buy a community 
and there might be on the expense line, you know, six or seven thousand dollars a month being spent on water and sewer, and those costs are not being uh, recaptured from the residents. And, and the reason is they, the residents don't have a meter on their home to say, well, how much should they get charged? And so we'll we'll go in and we'll install submeters at each home, and then people start paying just like all of us who don't live in a mobile home community, we pay for the amount of water and, uh, that we use. Um, so anyway, they, then you see in year five and year 10, these big spikes, and let me, let me kind of explain that. So as we, a mobile home community, it, it's pretty simple in some ways. It, it's, it's valued based on a, a multiple of the net income. And so as we do these things and as we, as we add occupants, as we increase our efficiency, um, as we raise rent, one I, I didn't really mention, um, then they become more valuable. And as they, as they become more valuable, we have an opportunity to recapitalize the communities. And so what, you, what you're seeing here is in year five, uh, you know, the way we operate these, are, we're, we're buying these value-add communities and our intention is that within the first five years, we're going to recapitalize a portfolio and return to the investors their original investment. Doesn't mean that they, they no longer have shares in the company, right? They bought, they bought shares and we, and we still own these. They're, the preferred return uh, goes away, but they continue to own those shares and they continue to get their, their profit percentage of, of the cash flow that's generated. Uh, same, and, then, and then the same thing in year 10, because by year five, we're not done. I mean, we've added a lot of value, but, but you know, we might only be at 75% or 80% occupied across the portfolio. There's still a lot of room uh, to, to uh, add value, and, and that's what we're projecting there in year 10 as well. So, so let, me, let me talk about, uh, and maybe a little bit of this is on the social impact side, but here's some examples of some capital projects that we've done. Uh, we, so new driveways, we'll, uh, put new asphalt down in the communities, we'll build a new children's park. We've got some kind of barbecue pavilions going in. Uh, we, uh, we're doing new signage at basically all of our, all of our communities kind of standardizing that, you know, grading for new lots. Uh, again, so, so a lot of this is kind of centered around improving what's already there, right? So it's, it's development to some degree, but it, it's, it's really improvement of, of what's already existing. And, uh, I, you know, one thing I've shared with our team, I, I, a little analogy, I suppose. I, I don't know how many of you rode the, the, the bus to middle school, but I did. And it wasn't always a pleasant experience. And, uh, and so I, I have what we call the bus test for, for our communities. And that is <clears throat> when you think about a kid in fifth grade or maybe he's in middle school and he's getting off the bus at, at our community that we own, if the kids are making fun of him because of where he lives, we're not doing our job. And honestly, most of the communities <clears throat> that we purchase they they probably did get made fun of. Um, so so that that's kind of the idea. We're 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 looking to improve these communities, make it a place where people are proud to call home, and uh, and are and are happy to be there. And it really, in the in the grand scheme of it, doesn't doesn't cost that much to do some of these improvements. And uh, and just we we just the stories over the past few weeks with some of these projects that have just been getting completed have been have been really inspiring and, and, and really fun. 
Okay, so, so here are the QOZ properties that we've purchased so far. First two are in Fund 3, which is also a QOZ fund, um, but, but the others are in Fund 4. And I, you, know, you can kind of look down the list and see sizes and number of lots and how many are occupied, how many are vacant. Uh, a couple things I want to point out. So first of all, our locations, right? So we're in Bloomington, Indiana, home of Indiana University, Greenville, North Carolina, home to East Carolina University, uh, Daytona Beach, Florida, uh, Lakeland, Florida, Rockdale, Texas, which is outside of Austin, kind of the, on the way to College Station, uh, and then Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, so, so we have we have filters around. Hey, this is where we're going to invest. These are the types of communities, the type of type of demographics we're looking for. You know, one one thing to keep in mind about mobile home park investment, it's not like we can pick a market and say, hey, we love Charlotte. North Carolina, we love Raleigh, North Carolina, we like Nashville, Tennessee, we're only buying in those markets. Because if we did that, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to, to, to really find investment opportunity. Um, so we kind of have to be willing to go out into to some of these other markets that are, are maybe uh, you know, tertiary, but, but again, we're still, they've got to have uh, support. We're not going to buy something in kind of rural Georgia or rural Mississippi where there's not an economy to support uh, people living there. Or, you know, you think about maybe some of the Rust Belt states where people are leaving. We're not interested in those states as, uh, either. I mean, we're looking for places where there is economy, there's population growth, um, and, there's, and there's solid numbers. To, to What we found is, the, in fact, this was research done by uh, Charles, Dr. Charles Becker out of Duke University. Uh, and what he found is really the only metric we need to look at in terms of replacement housing for mobile home uh, parks or for mobile home mobile homes is uh, is a three-bedroom apartment in that same MSA so so that's really that's the key metric right there we look at that we look at that ratio and it's and it's got to support the kind of lot rent that, that you know we need over time to make it economically viable uh, the the other thing I'll, I'll mention real quick is I, I said at the beginning that there's it's very difficult to build a new mobile home community. However, what's much less difficult is to add lots to an existing community. And we have a number of those opportunities in this QOZ fund. Uh, I'll mention a couple. So Los Robles in Rockdale, Texas, uh, we've already met with the county on this. Uh, it's currently 84 sites. It's permitted right now to add another 100 sites. And so we're we're in the process of of kind of getting all the construction permits together, uh, so we can we can start that. We're we're filling up the existing community as well. In fact, this is the, one of the ones that just had new uh, driveways and and asphalt put in last week. <clears throat> uh, another one is in Las Vegas. So as you'll see there, uh, we we purchased that community with 53 uh, in place lots, and we were looking to initially kind of keep what was there and then add another 25 spaces. Um, but we knew it was zoned for, for a lot more than that. And we're now working with Los, uh, I'm sorry, with the county, with Cook County to do 150 units uh, on, that, on that property. So instead of just adding 25 here, we'd be adding you know, almost 100 units to that one. Um, and so, so those, are, those, are, uh, that, those are fantastic kind of upside opportunities. Uh, that haven't really been captured too much in our, in our projections, but uh, kind of gravy on, on top of that. 
So let me share a little bit about Saratoga Group's history and track record. So we own 26 communities with about 2,300 lots, so you know, close to about 100, 100 units per community. Uh, we're in Florida, kind of northern Florida, Georgia, Atlanta area, uh, Alabama. Uh, it's actually closer to Columbus, Georgia, right across the river. Uh, we're in North Carolina. We're in Indiana, Illinois, uh, Las Vegas, and then we have a couple in California as well, and then Texas. And we have our headquarters here in, in Northern California, Sacramento area, and then we have our some of the management spread out geographically kind of close to uh, you know some of these locations. So uh, our senior regional manager, Josh, is located in Springfield, Illinois. Um, so he's, he's, you know, covering the uh, Midwest region. Our COO, Luke, who's my brother, lives in Nashville, Tennessee. And so he's proximate to kind of things both in the Southeast and in the Midwest. Um, and then I want to just kind of explain this chart really quickly. This, this is not fund four. This is actually fund three, which is our previous QOZ fund. But we've got, we've got more operating history there. And, and I wanted to kind of point out our experience, how we how it's worked so far and how we think it's going to happen in fund four. So, so what you notice is that initially the revenue, and sometimes it dips a little more than this, uh, but certainly the income dips as well. And, and the reason for that is I, I mentioned most of these sellers are, are kind of mom and pop owners. I mean, they, they might've been the ones that built it or, uh, you know, maybe their parents built it and, and the kids have inherited it and they really, have not reinvested into the communities and they don't have very good protocol for screening uh, the people that are, that are coming into their communities. And so what we find is there's often a little bit of a criminal element. There's just some bad apples that we need to get out of the community. And so initially our expenses are higher, uh, our, our occupancy is gonna dip a little bit because we, before we bring in the people that we want to come in, we have to clean up and stabilize what's there. And so that's why you see kind of, you'll see a quarter or two of kind of this dip uh, before the, uh, the income or the revenue and the income start to increase. So, so again, this was fund three, our previous QOZ fund, but we anticipate uh, very similar performance and, and we're starting to see it already on fund four. That, that's, that's really it. And I, I know we wanted some time for questions. So anyway, thank you so much. Yeah, that's great. Thank you, Sam. Thanks for, thanks for uh, joining us today and, and sharing your expertise with us. If you're interested in downloading the slide deck, uh, you can do so by, by heading to invest.saratogagroup.net, uh, register, and, and Sam will get that slide deck over to you. Or actually, I think it's, I think it's on that page after, after you finish yeah, registering. Posted. So that, that's, that's how you can access that. Thank you, Sam, and, and thank you all for attending. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Jimmy. Really appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. That's it for our show today. A huge thank you to you, our listener. If you liked this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes. The Opportunity Zones podcast is produced by the Opportunity Database. Visit OpportunityDB.com to learn more about Opportunity Zones and Opportunity Zone Fund investing. You can learn how to subscribe to this podcast and read more about today's guest in the show notes by visiting opportunitydb.com slash podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode.